Every time I've been coached, that's been the answer. I need to spend most of my time doing the couple of things I'm good at and, and as little time doing the things I'm bad at as possible. What are we talking about on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast? We're talking about business, specifically your business. Is it growing or are you stuck? How painful is that growth? Is it running you or are you running it? Are you working in your business or on your business? On the Grow Your Damn Business podcast, we explore these questions and much more. Expect a lively, spirited discussion about what it takes to grow your damn business. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. I'm your host, Scott Goodrich, and joined today by Scott Anderson, another Scott in the house from Omaha, Nebraska. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scott. Great to be here. Yeah, really appreciate your carving out some time and joining us here on a Friday. Uh, Scott, you and I were talking a little bit beforehand. Uh, the small world syndrome hit us, as, as it can typically do. We have a, a mutual uh, a mutual acquaintance uh, that, uh, despite the fact that I'm in Arizona and you're in, in Nebraska, that we've managed to, to find our way to. Pretty amazing. It is. Yes, yes. So, uh, Scott, I always like to give my guests their chance to tell their story a little bit and, and what you're doing today, but, you know, some of the things you've done along the way. I've read your bio. You are, you are a serial entrepreneur. You are someone that that builds things, that starts things, and, and obviously have taken a lot of lessons over your career and put them into what you're doing today. So why don't you give us a little sense of what you're up to, and then we'll come back around and, and talk a little bit about your journey. Thanks, Scott. Great, you know, great to be here. And it is such a small world. I'm glad we could, you know, what are the chances <laughs> that we both know somebody from Omaha? But Omaha, as big as it's becoming, it's a small town. Anyway. That's right. Um, yeah, so I am a serial entrepreneur. I've uh, I've uh, launched or led ten businesses, uh, ten companies. Uh, my strike zone is small to medium sized businesses, so typically it's two to twenty million. Uh, I have a number of clients that have that have bigger businesses, but that's sort of where I began, and they uh, have the scars to prove it. I like to say yeah. to people, you <laughs> okay. know, uh, it, it, not, first first not, theme of the day: business uh, does not grow in a straight line. So just, we'll just yeah. dispel that notion right out of the yeah. gate here, right? And the, yeah. and the the scars that you get are the badges of honor that you can wear as you as you learn <laughs> and, and grow to the next thing, right? And yeah, like, no, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. That's why uh, we Swedish people have flat foreheads because we're constantly. <laughs> Uh, doing this, but uh, and he gets and he gets ahead and, and running into and running into brick walls. But uh, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, there's just so many things that you really can't know, notwithstanding business school, notwithstanding whatever, that you can't know without running into it. I mean, there are just some bizarre things that you can't possibly anticipate. But anyway, so having run these companies, uh, and uh, actually, the the biggest company that I started was an advertising agency, and. Um, kind of hit the wall there. Uh, we talked about one of the walls typically being that sales and profit don't move no matter what you do. And yeah, that yeah. was the box I was in uh, about a little less than 10 years into this advertising agency. And somebody said, you should call a coach. So I had no, this is a long time ago. They yeah. weren't, the whole idea was very new. And I called a guy at random and said, well, somebody said I should get a coach. Here's here's my credit card. Let's go. And, uh, you know, when I think about it in retrospect, it was an insane decision, but it was a fabulous decision. And I was very, very fortunate to fall into the hands of a great, great guy named Kevin Ross. And not only did it rock my world completely um, and in 90 days did more than I think I'd done in the previous three years, um, but but also just really convinced me that this is a very, very powerful thing. 
And of course, today, I think most people know that most entrepreneurs, you can't hardly avoid the topic, but uh, I wasn't, yeah. it was completely new to me. So yeah. part of what I got out of that was I got an opportunity to break through the plateau I kept hitting my head against, but also discovered that that I really wanted to do this, that coaching was such a powerful, potentially powerful thing that I wanted to I wanted to get involved, especially for entrepreneurs in small and medium-sized businesses. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 a, it can be a tough concept for folks to wrap their heads around. Um, it, it seems simple on the surface, but oftentimes, oh, do I even have the funds to do that, that investment in myself, right? That can right. be tough, right? You're saying I'm struggling with profit. Let me go spend some money. Uh, right. That, that, that can see foreign as, as a concept, but I, but yeah, but I, you know, you grab anyone that's achieving something great in an, in an industry and, and look at pick a sports team, pick a sports figure, pick, pick, you know, you like tennis, you like golf. And I don't know what you like, but they have coaches. They have folks that are helping them to reach their very best. And you talk about that's at the highest level, but for an entrepreneur, that's what you want, right? How can I run this business in the best way possible? Get the most from it. You're right. Really give of myself, but then at some point in time, let others take it from me. You need help to make that happen. It doesn't happen on your own, uh, at least in, in a very rare circumstance, right? You need to have someone that you yeah, can Yeah. Well, the on. problem is that, you know, we get, we get sort of, uh, uh, calcified in a, in a direction and, yeah. you know, this is sort of the superpower and also the, I like to say the kryptonite of being an entrepreneur is that, you know, we can get laser focused on something and and make straw or make gold out of straw. But yeah, yeah. on the other hand, we also tend to get tunnel vision a lot. Um, we t- we tend to uh, part of our conviction and commitment and and perseverance can really turn against us. That's what I found was that I just yeah. kept everything. You know, as they say to the to the hammer, everything looks like a nail, and I knew one way of going, and that's it. And right. um, so. When I and and part of it was parting with the money to engage this coach, uh, put me at stake. You know, this yeah. is why free coaching doesn't work. Right, um, right. You think it, you you think it would, but actually, the more you pay, the better it works. Uh, you know, I mean, past a certain point, it's crazy, but I mean, really, the more the more at stake you are. Uh, I have personally, uh, the more all in I. You know, I still have coaches today. I'm working with a person right now who's costing me an arm and a leg. But on right. the other hand, I'm accomplishing, I've accomplished more in 30 days than I had in the, you know, on this particular issue than I had in three years. And, you know, that's the whole point. Uh, uh, you know, you have to choose the right person, obviously, but um, right. you can you can 10x or 100x the investment. And that's the whole point of having a coach to move faster and farther and to move at all in a way you wouldn't do otherwise. Well, I, I just I really love that concept that you're talking about of having a stake in a game when you're willing to invest in that and invest in yourself or invest in your company and make some of those tough choices, even when it doesn't seem like the you know the financial wherewithal. Um, I mean, I'm in the middle of who, not how. Uh, my, my guess is that one has somehow made it way across your desk. Uh, and if it hasn't, I highly recommend it. But this is uh, the chapter that I read yesterday was exactly that. Uh, the reason that, that that things move forward quickly is because when it's not for free, uh, you want to get the return on it, right? If I if I hire a personal trainer, I'm going to get to the gym more often than I'm not than I am if uh, if I don't have that person getting me there, exactly. or if I don't have that that coach saying, "Hey, get up to practice, and we're going to do X, Y, and Z to get better today," right? When you've got that stake, it's it's going to really help. So that. that I think that's spot on and really resonates. It does. And it is It is who. I mean, I'm sure you're seeing this with your clients, Scott. I, I You know, the number one issue I see today is talent. Uh, yeah. You know, across the country, we have clients in Europe. Um, the, the number one issue is talent. 
And the problem with a lot of entrepreneurs and especially founding entrepreneurs is that, I mean, some of, some of us are very uh, charismatic and gracious and so forth, but yeah. <laughs> to a point, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, uh, we, we, we have one of the things I run into so often and I, it was my uh, downfall was interview bias just to pick one thing. But, yeah. you know, I, I kept hiring people who I liked and who were like me. And we didn't yeah. need anybody else like me in my business. That was exactly the problem. We, <laughs> you know, we had me already. Exactly. Uh, right. We didn't need, we needed somebody who was uh, very different than me. Uh, yeah. And someone who I wouldn't necessarily gravitate to. And I didn't do any of this intentionally. My my intentions were, you know, I had to, I have to hire somebody who's good with systems, process, detail, uh, you know, who can really stay in the trenches and stay focused uh, versus my uh, very short attention span. Yeah. But we, no, you know, you, we don't yeah, know that. Don't know that. Yeah. Well, you, you bring up a, a couple of, of really good points in, and you're spot on, right? The, the majority of the time when we are working with, with a client, right, it, it is going to be at the root of it, a, a people issue somewhere along the line. Either the person that you brought on is not who you thought it was going to be. The hiring decision may, may have been off, or now you've advanced to the point where that individual can't keep up. There, there's something that's gone on there, and we typically, when we get to root cause on an issue, those are people issues. You know, the root of most of the evil in these organizations that are not getting where they want to get to is at that people level. So I think you're, exactly. you're hitting it right on there. I don't you put a percentage to it, but it's over 50, 60, 70, pick a number. Um, Absolutely. So for sure. And then your second point in hiring is you want to attract folks that believe in what you believe in, but you want to make sure that you're attracting folks that have the skill sets to complement what you're doing, right? Making sure that they are skilled in areas where you are not so that you can go do the things that you're really good at, right? We call that delegate and elevate, exactly. but you're same thing, right? Get to your superpower. You're really good at these things. You don't need any more people with that same superpower. I need complementary superpowers and, and they'll take on the yeah. stuff that maybe you can do, but you don't want to, or you shouldn't be doing, right? It could fit in exactly. one of those buckets. It's, yeah, the, yeah. it's the Pareto principle, uh, it's sort of the Frankenstein version of the Pareto principle where you're spending 80% of your time doing things that have 20% impact. And yep. um, we've got to flip that. I mean, you know, and in, in broad strokes, that's the answer. Every time I've been coached, that's been the answer. I need Always. to get, I need to spend most of my time doing the couple of things I'm good at and, and as little time doing the things I'm bad at as possible. Um, yep. You know, the, the problem, and everybody agrees to this intellectually. I've never talked to a client, an entrepreneur who didn't say, well, of course, I don't want to waste my time uh, and I don't want to do things that I hate, uh, obviously, but, but intellectually is one thing. And, Putting it in practice is something else. The other big thing that I found that's that's really the downfall, I'm sure you do too, is that um, it's with respect to interviewing. I mean, one of the things that we've and, and hiring and vetting and that whole process, uh, you know, one of the things that we do with our clients is to use a, a, a tool that is EEOC compliant and 90% mm -hmm. accurate in terms of identifying exactly what the skill sets and the and the uh, work workplace preferences people really have, because yeah. so many people interview well. Um, so what we do with our clients is have them take this uh, assessment, have candidates take the assessment, and if they don't fit the profile that we know with ninety percent certainty is a fit for the job, then we don't even interview them. We don't waste yeah. our clients' time interviewing people that don't that don't fit because they are so subject to interview bias. Um, yeah. You know, we want to make sure these people are a fit first and then make sure they don't have two heads or, or whatever. But 
first right. make sure that that we can predict with 90% accuracy that they can actually do process systems detail or whatever it is we're hiring for. Uh, but we don't waste our clients' time interviewing people that don't already have that with 90% certainty. Yeah. Having a process, right? On, in this case, having that hiring process in place, something that you follow each time. So it's not subject to guesswork or not subject to the whims or how I'm feeling that day or how this person showed up that day or exactly. I like how he or she dressed or spoke or answered a question or, hey, we have a lot in common, but at the end of the day, the skill set or the core values aren't aligned. And that will be, that's just a disaster in the making. And, and you're right. And it, can, and it can happen that way. So having that yeah. process and an and, and assessment tool, there are a ton out there. Pick one that works for you and keep using it over and over again, right? I mean, that's the that's the yeah. thing. You don't want to recreate the wheel every time. You got to find something that really works. And we we've got a really a couple of uh, recruiting firms that that we work with that that are very very synced up with how EOS operates. But they they this is how they run their business, right? They're they are saying, look, hire us. We're going to do this in a way that is going to be different than you've ever done before. And that's, it's, it's actually another great way for an entrepreneur to invest in their business. Like get that right person because the cost of replacing the individual over and over again, it's way more than the cost of bringing on someone that you trust to do this work for you, right? That's the right who to get that how done. <laughs> Don't have to rely exactly. on yourself all the time to do it, right? And that's that, that, that concept of who, not how, which is really resonating with me time and again and, and, the, and really making sure that you've got those right people uh, doing the work for you. Um, Scott, let's go back a little bit. We're talking a little bit about where we are today and I, awesome lessons here, but serial entrepreneur, is that something that was part of who you were growing up, something you observed, or did you say the heck with that? I'm, I'm going a different direction than maybe what I saw from family, friends, or other early influences. You know, I think part of it, it's both nurture and nature. I, I think I was just, you know, I had a shoe shine business when I was like seven <laughs> years old going door to door nice. with doing a, doing nice. a terrible job. I, I, as it turns out, shining shoes is harder than I thought. But uh, yeah, yeah but, I mean, I, that was just sort of a natural uh, instinct to want to build things and do things uh, on my own. And again, that's a, it's a blessing and a trap, but um, also the, the family that I, you know, everybody around, very few people had jobs in the technical, you know, I mean, they didn't, they didn't have employers. Let's put it that way. Um, okay. I, I grew up with folks that were farmers and ranchers who are the sort of consummate entrepreneur. Um, also uh, people who had started their own, their own businesses. And, and actually when I looked around, in my family, very, very few people had job had jobs. You know, they had yeah. uh, they had built something, and so I think that's part of it was that I never grew sure. up with the expectation that I actually grew up with the expectation that instead of that a job was was uh, equated to security, um, I had the opposite uh, correlation. I always thought that, or I was sort of brought up to think, you know, if you're not running the business, then you're at, you're at big risk. Um, and that jobs weren't secure. Uh, yeah. And it's turned out, obviously, since, you know, since the 80s and certainly in 2008, that that's true, um, that it's an no illusion. Doubt. But that's the way I grew what, up. That's one of those lessons I wish I had a little bit earlier. It's, it's interesting. I, I Similarly to, to you, I, I when I was in my early teens and I was doing the same thing, I was, you know, cutting lawns and trying to create a lawn wing service. I was delivering papers. I'm like, oh, here's some stuff I can sell. Like I had that in me. And then yeah. for whatever reason, I got out of college and I didn't go that direction. And and, uh, and I've learned the lesson a little bit later on that say, you know what, um, 
take care of yourself, right? And, and you can you can make and create something and and do do it in a manner, and then also create opportunities for others, which I think what attracted me when I opened business with my wife is we just let's create opportunities for others. That was one of the things that really attracted us to what we ended up um, opening and, and building. Yes. So yeah, 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 right. That's there's something intrinsic from there, and and obviously now yeah, you got to look in the mirror and rely on yourself. That comes with its own set of pressures and challenges, but th- welcome pressures and challenges in that and from what you know from where i am today from maybe where i was when i got out of school so just just a little bit different so what was the first company scott so you're coming out so you know what 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 was the start and let's talk about some lessons learned in the first attempt um that you applied to the to the to the subsequent attempts where where you've had some success and and had a number of companies since then yeah well yeah i've had a couple of businesses that just (laughs) absolutely cratered uh yeah and uh you know which are the you know, the scars that, uh, that prove it, but you know, the, but all the, uh, all the lessons learned to make you better. Right. And that's, that's, that, that is also a constant theme is that you learn so much when things don't go well, that the next one's yeah. got a much better chance of making it right. I mean, there's just, no well, one of the that. things, one of the things I learned. So the, the very first company that I ran, I ran with uh, a family business that my grandfather started. This is sort of the entrepreneurial environment I grew up in, uh, the construction equipment business that we talked about earlier. And yeah. uh, that that and this is how I knew the the Harvey family. But anyway, yeah. Um, and one of the things I learned there, among many others, so I was my father was very young when he died. Uh, he was only fifty eight years old, and I was uh, only twenty five years old. But I was okay. the only one in my family that knew anything about the business at all. I was living in the East Coast too. I was working for advertising agencies, and uh, I didn't know much, but I knew more than the rest of my family. I came back and. You know, one of the things one of my clients says that the the road to hell is paved with family businesses, and I would say, uh, you know, that's probably pretty true. Uh, and I've worked with a lot of clients who are second generation and third generation yeah. owners of family businesses, and uh, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. It's hard enough to to run an entrepreneurial business or any business, but when you have uh, so many uh, splintered interests at different ages different stages of life, uh, a million, and, and also emotions just take over completely. Oh, totally, so totally. yeah, never get in a family business ever. And uh, uh, if you can possibly avoid it, spare your children. It always seems like a good idea, but it's not. It's really not. Yeah, you think about building something for them, but that it, it is it is a challenge. Actually, quite a few uh, folks that that are EOS clients are family businesses in le- learning through this, and and oftentimes yes. that just because you own the business doesn't mean that you get to have a seat in running the business and working on the business, right? It doesn't come, and yeah, and, and you got to separate those two, and so hard not to because like, well, I own it, I should be involved in it. Well, like, well, you don't actually have a skill set for what we need to to take this forward, right? And that's where. The rubber meets the road in those conversations of working with family businesses, right? That that is well. It also meets the road when when people who don't work in the business but have a uh, a equity share expect yeah. distributions of normally a million dollars a year is where they start. And so uh, <laughs> right. you know this is the problem. The the problem I always ask my client or the question I ask my clients about family businesses is what do you want Thanksgiving to look like? Um, because that's what it boils down to. Uh, do you want people? Do you want to have a relationship with these people or not? And that's really the key. If you do, then that's gonna that's gonna dictate a course of of action. Yeah. Um, and and if you and if you don't want to have a relationship with them, that dictates a completely different course of action. But you can't have both. Um, this is the this is the thing. 
I love that. I really, really love that. It's a great, great way to paint that picture and understand the choices that need to be made today to allow for that to happen down the line, right? And that, you're right. It is a hard thing for folks to for folks to swallow because it's family, right? Should should be part of that. Be part of Absolutely. That. I remember yeah. my. Uh, you know, I got into this business and I was the only one that knew anything about it, and so I was quickly promoted into a leadership position. And you know, not that I was so brilliant, but I was the only one that knew anything about it. The only person who had worked there. But my. Uh, my aunt said, well, how, how can Scott earn X dollars? Because her son, who is my age and lived someplace else and wasn't involved with the business and had a completely different skill set, he was making X dollars. So how is it possible for Scott to make X dollars when my, when my son, my cousin, yep. was making a different amount of money? And there's no way to explain this. There's no way to rationalize it. You can't you know, there's no EOS dust you can put on that. You just have to. <laughs> the emotions are there. You're not going to, right? Trying to treat emotions and address them with logic is really a bad, bad decision. Uh, it ne never works out, right? Just not, not going to happen. happen. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, so Scott, you, you, you took over that business. How long did you run it? And then, and I think you said you ultimately sold it, right? So kind of tell me a little yeah, bit about that, yeah. that, that process. So, so this is dating me, but uh, I was actually, so it was uh, 1982. I was 25 years mm -hmm. old. I was running this business. Yeah. Interest rates were 17%. People complain at, you know, in four or 5%. Yeah. Interest rates yeah. then were 18%, which meant yeah. that you could not buy or sell anything. The entire economy was frozen solid. And yeah. particularly in my case, I was selling construction equipment that, that costs, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and you couldn't buy it because you couldn't get an 18% return on anything, really, except yeah. gold. People were holding gold in those days. <laughs> anyway, so the entire business froze. And uh, that and the fact that there was a FBI sting across the country uh, arresting a lot of my clients for bid rigging, supposedly bid rigging. Oh, and uh, so I had no customers. Um, wow. No one could buy anything. And the whole thing froze solid. So yeah. the first couple of years were nip and tuck. I mean, I learned what it was yeah. like yeah. to go to go to the bank and say, Guys, I don't know what's going to happen. They didn't know either. I mean, it seemed apocalyptic. And mercifully, the interest rates relaxed. Uh, but for about 16 months, we had 17, 18% interest. Anyway, interest rates relaxed, thank God. And um, we, uh, I was finally able to, um, you know, and hitting my head against the wall almost every day, making mistakes, uh, was somehow very fortunately, and with the help of a good team, was able to turn the business around, uh, resume profitability. And then we uh, we did an ESOP um, with the okay. employees. There was a couple of companies involved. And so I got a really good firsthand experience with, you know, uh, uh, employee ownership, basically, and, and what yeah, that worked, yeah. what that takes. And in the day, it was it was very advantageous. Today, it's it's ESOPs are different. They can be just as advantageous. It's a different um, structure than it was then. Uh, but anyway, that that really, you know, I mean, it felt good, um, a third generation sure. business um, to be able to sell to employees. But um, it's also it was like with family businesses, this is the thing. It was like selling my right arm, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's and not trying to get everyone on the same page. I assume assuming there was a lot of that as well. Like right at that. Oh, trying my to God. Corral all those uh, egos and thoughts and emotions. All, all that time. I can only imagine going, going there. Any. So what. So obviously made it successfully. Lessons that you learned in that process that you've been able to apply going forward. You know, what did you take away from that? Obviously, really, the first one sort of thrust upon you. Uh, due to some unfortunate circumstances, but you, you, you learned tons. So, so that that takeaway, yeah. how did you, you know, we, we, what did you apply from that as you as you move forward into into your next ventures? 
Well, you know, the main thing was uh, about equity is controlling equity and um, that, you know, never, never own less than 51%. I mean, that is sort of obvious, but, uh, you know, I mean, you, if you have splintered equity, you're, you're going to put it in the ditch. That's all there is to it. And um, also, if you have multiple generations uh, with way different needs, it's, it simply can't, you know, it's hard enough, right, (laughs) to make a business work uh, without having competing interests and a very, very distracting conflict. And I say this with love for everybody involved. It's not, no one was bad, a bad person or whatever, but they were just, everybody was at different um, points in their lives. So that's one piece is, you know, uh, yeah, control yeah. it. Um, you know, the other the other piece of it that, uh, that I couldn't really see at the time, and I've had to learn very slowly, is, you know, what it means to be a leader. And, um, you know, mainly, uh, and I, I had to do a lot of this because I simply didn't have the answers, but mainly leadership is about listening. And um, we talked about the Pareto principle. Uh, you know, it's right. really about listening 80 and, and talking 20, if that, um, you know, really listening is the name of the game. Um, and more so today than than ever, listening to customers, particularly uh, listening to your team, listening to staff. Uh, the whole process is, I like to think of it as a rock tumbler where you have a lot of rough edges when you start out in your business journey. But if you stay in the rock tumbler long enough, uh, hopefully you, you smooth out a little bit, you gain a little exactly. bit of humility, and you know you have to shut up and listen. You know, that's really what it's all about. Nice, nice. So um, we talked a little bit about delegation a little bit earlier and finding the right right who's to do the work for you. Can, can you think of you know, across your various different companies that you've had really a, a key higher key time when you said, okay, I've got to get this off my plate. I need someone else. I know I can do it, but it's not the right thing for me to be spending timing on any yeah. particular hire where you really did delegate some stuff away. Once again, you had the skill set, but it just wasn't the right thing for you to be spending time on. That was really instrumental for you. Have an example of that. Well, you know, a lot of examples of that. I mean, when I look back, every um, every time my business really grew and thrived, and every time we were able to break through uh, one of those, uh, you know, forehead flattening plateaus, uh, we like was to call them ceilings a, around here. But yeah, yeah. I get it. You're hitting, you're hitting your wall, you're hitting that wall, yeah. and it's like I can't move forward. Something's got to change here if I'm going to move forward. And you know, so what I would say in every single case is that I stay, I stayed stuck against that ceiling every time I insisted on doing everything and every time in my ego where I thought it's easier and faster for me to do it myself. I mean, you've heard that a million times. So if I have said it to my shame, I've said it a million times. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, and as I say to my clients, the only thing wrong with the idea of it being faster and easier for you to do it yourself is that you will never, ever grow a business worth having or that anyone would ever want to buy. Other than that, it's a great plan, Um, you know, and and so... (laughs) That's what I've had to learn over and over and over and over. And every single time that I've been able to realize there are two or three things I do pretty well and that will add value and impact to my business and can change the trajectory if I spend 80% of my time doing it. Every time I've made that decision, um, not only has my life significantly improved when I (laughs) stop doing the things I'm terrible at uh, and suck my soul, but also the business takes off. That's happened every yeah. single time. And I've talked to clients for whom that's happened again and again. And still, our reflex as entrepreneurs is it's faster and easier for me to do it myself. I can't find good people. 
I can't afford the kind of people that we need. I mean, there's, you know, the long list of excuses. But sure. every single time uh, I've personally broken through a plateau, and certainly in my clients, it's had to, it's had to do with flipping that Pareto principle, um, finding uh, the the thing that I need to be doing 80% of the time uh, that will have 80% of the impact, but but changing my own role to something that's much smaller and focused, more focused. Yeah. It's really getting away from from those incremental steps and, and thinking much bigger. I'm going to go back to the same authors who do who not how. They also do 10x is easier than than 2x, right? For for a leader yeah. to, to think think bigger, right? You've got to do exactly what you're talking about and talk about 10xing business or even more than that. That rate of return is so significant when you can do it. So, you, but you've got to get that right, get in the right space to do there and just say, I um, I'm going to trust this is the right way to go because every time it's tried, it's worked, and you now have a history of those to call upon. Uh, you know, doing it the first time is, is the most challenging time, right? When, when I got to give away a little bit of what I know uh, to, to go forward, Whew, that, that can be tough. We call it letting go of the vine. Same concept, right? You got to let go. Uh, you got to trust that it's going to have someone there that can, can take you to that next level. And this is the thing, you know, I do a lot of work. I'm also, I don't know if I mentioned, I'm also a, a licensed uh, mental health therapist that has to do with a, a uh, not-for-profit organization I started. But the, um, you know, the, the problem is that the very thing that makes entrepreneurs uh, succeed uh, that that superpower is the kryptonite nine times out of ten. Yeah, and and the the uh, the perseverance, the resilience, the uh, hyper focus, etc., can make it also very difficult to let go of the vine. Holding onto the vine is something you desperately need at times in your business. You know, right. you have to see it through. You have to, even when it seems like uh, you know the train is going to hit you going through the tunnel. You still have to hold on to that vine, and holding on to it is a absolutely important survival skill, which yeah. is why when it's time to let go of it, so many entrepreneurs have a really hard time. But if they continue sure. holding on, this leads to, you know, to technical burnout, uh, where you get technical to burnout, where, or you're not getting the satisfaction, you're not getting what you thought you'd get. Oh, I'm going to open this business up, I'm going to grow it, and then be able to let others, yeah, you know, in theory. Take take others. You know this is something that can be there for for a long time, but but you end up working in that business and in that business, and you never get a chance to step away. Exactly, from it. and that's what that's what we're talking about. That that burnout that you mentioned uh, that when when we we're talking earlier. Um, so. What are you spending your time on today, right? So you, so you mentioned you, you do some of the nonprofit work, you're do, doing some coaching. Is there anything else that's got to cooking in that visionary mind of yours where you're on to that next thing? <laughs> yeah. Anything else cooking? Uh, you know, t talk a little bit about where you are today. Well, thank you. I, you know, um, yeah, I have a not-for-profit called At Ease USA, which is a, uh, an organization to help military families recover from post-traumatic stress disorder. And um it's we've expanded the scope also now to include women who are recovering from domestic violence and sexual assault. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's so I'm, I'm focusing a lot of, sure. of time on that. Yeah. I also work with a lot of entrepreneurs uh, on a lot of the things we've talked about today. Um, but it's really about getting to a place where, uh, well, I work on technical burnout. I mean, on the yeah. on the definition of burnout that uh, the World Health Organization has defined. And that American workforce has someplace north of 60% of the American workforce has this. So wow. there are some very specific um, criteria. Uh, and in fact, I can include a burnout assessment in the show notes. Uh, I'll send it great. to you. Yeah. yeah, please do. Um, please do. But you know, part of it is this holding onto the vine. Again, it's a superpower, but it's also kryptonite. And, yeah. um, and there are some folks that really can't or feel like they can't let go. And... Um, 
you know, that'll cost you your business, but it'll also cost you relationships. Uh, it could cost you your relationship with your significant other and your children. It could cost you your health and so forth. So, you know, there's there's lots and lots of reasons to let go of the vine. Um, but but for some entrepreneurs, it just becomes reflexive. And the idea of letting go feels like I'm losing all control. My business will, will uh, I'll lose my business. Uh, when in fact, by holding on, you're losing your business. And yeah. more tragically, in a lot of cases, losing relationships, um, you know, losing your health uh, and losing the business. So that's kind of what I'm focused on right now. Powerful stuff. And, and really, really appreciate all, what you shared there about that. And, and hopefully folks can tune in and take it, take it, to, just take a moment to reflect, to, to reflect on what you've said and, and, and really take, take action uh, on doing something a little bit differently than maybe doing today where you're all in on everything all the time and, and take that moment. So great. Scott, thank you so much for, for sharing all that you did and the, and the My stories pleasure. you shared. Been, been wonderful. Uh, so before we let you go, and we'll give you a chance to, to make sure folks can find you at the end here, we like to do our fast five questions here to wrap up all of our conversations. Uh, Let's nothing do to do it. with work, but get a chance to, to meet Scott and learn a little bit more about him. So Scott, do you have a favorite sports team or athlete? Uh, favorite sports team is obscurely is the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team uh, because awesome. of the because of the culture, uh, the incredible uh, Maori culture that they've brought into the team and just incredible. Uh, and the the World Cup rugby is coming up, so watch that. Yeah, awesome. No, I love that. That's fantastic. And if you haven't spent any time understanding that in you know, one sportsman, that you're spot on, man. It is something to see uh, when you see them before a game too. Pretty awesome. Um, yeah. For your last meal, what would you have for your last meal? Oh, man. No guilt. Last meal. Yeah, last meal. Uh, I would have, I spent a lot of this year in in Florence in Italy, and I would have uh, a kind of uh, pasta called piki, which is uh, kind of a big, it looks like spaghetti, but they're very thick noodles with uh, truffles on top. If I'm going to go, I got to go, you know, go and, big. Uh, that's, that's what I'd have. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, do you have a favorite vacation spot? Uh, it could be someplace you've been or a place that's uh, on the bucket list to, to get to, you know, Italy generally, and uh, the yeah. town of Rovereto in particular, uh, which is in the, the Dolomites, uh, it's sort of where the Dolomites and the Italian Alps come together. And uh, it's a slice of heaven. That's where I'd be Rovereto. I love it. Love it. Um, anything you, that, uh, favorite movie streaming show, maybe something that's rewatchable for you can go any direction you want, but something that, that catches okay. your TV movie. Yeah. yeah. The show I watch again and again, and it only, I think it ran three seasons is called Patriot. And, uh, if you get a chance, check it out. It's sort of a crazy spy story, but it starts yep. out like a spy story. But it's, have you seen this, Scott? It's such a fabulous show. I, I, you know, I haven't, and I love it because uh, I'm always looking for, for something to grab, particularly if I'm jumping on a plane or whatever. And obviously now with a, Check it with out. A, with a writer's strike in place, we're going to need some stuff to watch. Uh, big time. He's going to slow really? down here. So yeah, it's good, really? good recommendation. Good recommendation. Um, fantastic. And then the, the last thing, just a... Is there a favorite quote, piece of advice that, that you've taken over the course of time that you come back to as, as a good anchor? Yeah. Uh, that time and again, what, what would that be? I had a business partner uh, in the advertising agency, a really great guy named Mark Hughes. And his advice to me and to everybody was make it about them. And anytime I would find myself, uh, you know, having a hard time making a decision or frustrated or whatever, the clarifying question was or statement was always make it about them. 
And yeah. that instantly cleared my mind and always led to good outcomes. Great, great advice. Great advice. Scott, you've been very generous with your time and also uh, sharing sharing the information that you have. And uh, if you take nothing away, you still have a new streaming show that those that listen and can can grab, if nothing else, right? Really? So hopefully the there's some other nuggets there, but love yeah. it, love it, love it. Uh, Scott, how can folks reach you? Uh, you mentioned a little bit about your nonprofit work, but where else can folks reach you if they, they want to learn a little bit more about you or even uh, spend some time, get some time on your calendar? Sure. Um, uh, our my practice is called Double Dare, and my uh, our site is Double Dare U Y O U Double Dare U dot U S. And if nice. you go there, you'll find uh, a burnout assessment. Although I'll include a link specifically yeah, or send it to you. But uh, yeah, that's what I would encourage people to do. I mean, the, the good news about burnout is that there are lots of clinically proven uh, evidence based practices where you can really reverse it and actually prevent burnout. Uh, that's what I would love to see my entrepreneurial brothers and sisters bring into their companies because you can nice. really, you really can uh, prevent it as well as recover from it. Fantastic. Scott, thanks again for all your time and for joining us uh, on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. We really do appreciate it and I uh, wish you nothing but the best and, and have a nice weekend as well. Thanks. Thank you, Scott. Same to you. All right. Take care. The Grow Your Damn Business podcast is hosted by Scott Goodrich, a professional EOS implementer. To learn more about EOS and how it might help grow your damn business, you can email Scott at scott.goodrich at eosworldwide.com or check out his website at www.eosworldwide.com forward slash Scott hyphen Goodrich. Thank you for listening to the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next week on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast.